0: My name is Bond. James Bond. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios. <laughs> who are we can? Live from Matt Allen's backyard in the LR Radio... 1876 Virginia City-style bar, which is the reason it sounds like we're doing the show from a loading dock on a tramp steamer with real tramps True Crime Uncensored, I'm Burl Bear, our fact checker, Mark C.G. Boyer, producer, Magic Matt Allen Joining us today, one of my all-time favorites A man who's had a life, lived well, it's not over with yet, I hope Hmm. Ron Ron Chepczyk, Ron, welcome back
1: you ready writing me off the dead?
0: No, no, well, you're not dead yet. No, I can no, prove just, it. just Canadian. <laughs> usually
1: <Just, yeah. Just, laughs> my death is a little bit premature. Yeah. so here. Yeah, so, that happens so a
0: lot. Free. I yeah, saw that no, movie no. with Ray Milan, Premature Burial. Hammer premature Films. Premature
1: Burial, yeah. Anyway, thank you for inviting me on the show.
0: Well, it's my pleasure, and I always uh, thank you for inviting me on your show. And you just keep cranking out these great books. And uh, in case you're not familiar with Ron... Uh, I could tell you all sorts of wonderful things about him, but it would just use up too much time.
1: So <laughs> I want to hear him. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, okay. Uh, he used to be a university <laughs> professor before someone wised up. He's an award-winning author, two-time Fulbright Scholar, recipient to Indonesia and Bangladesh, where he's still in high demand over some unpaid library fees. Uh, senior Research Associate at the Policy Institute uh, in Jakarta, Indonesia an adjunct instructor at UCLA's Journalism Extension Program. I haven't seen uh, Ron wearing those extensions, but I'm sure he looks real good. And he's consultant to the History Channel's Gangland, Do- Gangland Documentary Series. He also has too many awards. <laughs> in fact, people are complaining that he just keeps winning too many awards. And would uh, I think he got a gold medal in the Olympics this year <laughs> in true crime writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your career is just intimidating. You know that, don't you? Uh, He thought he was out of the writing true crime books business and concentrating on uh, screenplays, movie versions of his books. But then something strange happened. Just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back in, just like Godfather 3. You got an email one day, didn't you, Ron?
1: Yeah, I got an email from... um uh, the daughter of a man named uh, Jesus Ruiz Henao, uh, and, it was, and uh, she was in England, which was kind of interesting, and uh, she said that, uh, that uh, her father uh, was in jail. He was serving a sentence uh, for um, uh, drug smuggling, and but he'd be getting out soon, and uh, would I be interested in, um, in um, working on him with his story? And I didn't know anything about this guy, Uh, you know, uh, he just seemed like another name. And then uh, she sent like five links uh, uh, to uh, articles about him and uh, it sort of blew blew me away. You know, I found out this guy was the biggest cocaine dealer in in U.K. history by far. In fact, he was called the first billion pound. Cocaine dealer in um, in U. S. and U. K. history. Uh, they they uh, the head of um, of uh, the crime squad, which is one of the one of the groups that investigated <laughs> him. Mark Malloy uh, uh, described him as the Pablo Escobar of um, of U. K. Um, uh, cocaine smuggling. And then when the uh, when he was arrested, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, price of cocaine rose like shut up fifty percent.
0: Well, they the- shouldn't have arrested him then, because that's hard on the street folks.
1: Yeah, 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 and so, you know, this was all, you know, I read all this stuff, and I was like, you know, just and I had not even had my first cup of coffee yet, and uh, <laughs> so I wrote back, and I said, uh, yeah, and um, so he's, uh, I said, yeah, I'd be interested in talking with him, and I said, where is he, and he was in jail, and, um, and uh, she said that she would pass the message on to him, and that uh, he would call me. And, uh, you know, from British prison. And so uh, one day I got a call from him, and uh, we talked, and uh, uh, it went fine. And he said, uh, we agreed that when he got out, uh, we would probably work together. We would talk about it further. And uh, it got delayed. This was like 2017. And, uh, you know, things were just delayed. Uh, He had a problem with the law, whatever, uh, about his sentence, whatever. And uh, so it just kept dragging on. And then um, I thought, you know, this guy's never going to get out. And uh, he, he had spent Seventeen years in jail, and then one day I get an email from from his daughter, and she says uh, he's getting out October tenth, uh, two thousand and twenty, uh, and that uh, he would be contacting me as soon as he resettled because they were deporting him from from uh, from the United Kingdom to um, to Colombia, and so uh, I waited. Uh, you know, about a month and a half later, I get a, a email uh, from him, from him. He had his own email, and he said that uh, he was ready to talk. So we talked, and, uh, you know, it went well, and as uh, so I said, I worked out a contract, and so I had a contract worked out, and we went back and forth a little bit, and didn't have any problem with the contract, we signed it, <clears throat> and uh, so I said I would be coming to Colombia, to Bogota, and I said uh, to uh, interview you, I said, uh, I need to talk to you for maybe about a week and uh, he said okay and he was up in armenia which is up in the coffee growing region of colombia and uh he said he'd come down so uh, I, I put him up in a hotel and we spent a week and this was like uh, january uh, the first week of february and covid was just starting to oh, get yeah. you, you know what i mean and yeah. and so but I didn't think anything about it he didn't think anything about it and then um when i got back it just spiraled i mean just spiraled and uh, next thing you know I was cut off From Columbia I had no no way You know If I wanted to go back To Columbia To talk to him more I couldn't do that Because of the travel restrictions And all that And uh, so anyways I, I went ahead And I, I put together A book proposal As you know of what you do And I send it out And uh, my agent uh, Sent it out And uh, nothing happened So nobody was buying stuff Everybody was uh, Oh yeah
0: Everyone was on hold
1: Yeah right Everybody was scared You know Because nobody knew What the hell was going on With the COVID thing And it was getting worse And worse And all that And so so silence, and uh, and then uh, I uh, uh, you know I thought about I said I saw Wild Blue Press one day I saw them and the I said God you know Wild Press I said God they're a good publishers and um, and you've been published by them too right right, right. and yeah, yeah right and so I said I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell Barbara about them and uh, I got a, a, a email back uh, almost the same day and uh, the next thing you know within two days I had a contract yeah and uh, then I worked on that and it took about four months and. Uh, it was kind of hard because uh, you know I, I couldn't see him again. I had to do everything with with, uh, with the phone and email, but it worked out worked out well. He was uh, very cooperative and uh, it went smoothly. We did the book. It took me about four months, which was pretty fast, you know, right. for you know to do a book. And um, I was surprised myself because I took easier a little bit longer. And uh, it came out in April, and um, so you know we've been promoting it. And uh, I had a couple of feelers about. Um, about the film, and uh, uh, one of them is still out there. The other one didn't work out. And uh, I'm
0: surprised know. the uh, UK uh, BBC, whatever. Uh, you would think they'd they'd hop right on that one? <clears throat>
1: yeah, 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 You would, but you know, the, the obvious doesn't, doesn't seem to hit some people uh, in the <laughs> eyes. You know, like, yeah. like whack
0: them, them over the head you know. with the book.
1: Yeah, right, on that. So so anyways, uh that you know, that's what happened and um and the story is uh is is fascinating. You know, it's about a a, a Colombian refugee. You know, you imagine a refugee coming to the US and ending up being a billionaire uh cocaine dealer. <laughs> you know, it it's the same sort of thing. And he,
0: Every you know, young boy's dream. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he went, he went to the UK and, um, and developed this uh, amazing network. He had over 100 people working for him. He was like a CEO of a major corporation. And uh, he did it, you know, nonviolently. You know, uh, he did it with his brain. And um, and uh, he got caught, like all of them do, you know, in the end. You know, they get away with it for a while. They enjoy the, the riches and all that. But in the end, you get caught. That's why I can never be a criminal.
0: No, you, gotta, you almost got to do it the other way around, is, is if you can get out... Fast, get yeah, in, get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, and, and they
1: know that too. But they they get caught up in it. There's a variety of reasons why they don't do it. But they know that they're going to get caught. I mean, deep down inside, they know that eventually that. Uh, and law enforcement is kind of slow at first. You know, they're kind of clumsy and all that. But eventually, they catch up to speed and uh, they out, uh, you know, they outfox the. Uh, oh, the bad plus, guys they've got and, the uh,
0: resources. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Like in this case, for example, you uh, there were two hundred officers working on his case at one time, 200 uh, officers in various parts. And can you imagine, you know, going up against that? Right.
0: No. And uh,
1: and uh, uh, you imagine the money that was spent to bring him down and eventually he did. And when he did, uh, there were the, uh, his network in, in the UK, there was 34 people that were arrested and convicted and another 17 in Colombia. Uh, so it was like it was like 51 people, and they got over 350 years in prison.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time. And If they double that, yeah, right, they're not right. getting out uh, early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and
1: you know, and uh, the drug war didn't miss a beat. No, <laughs> hell no. You know, yeah, <laughs> didn't miss a beat. You know, he was gone, but uh, but forgotten. You know, he was gone, <clears throat> but forgotten, and uh, it, it's still it's still thriving in the, in the UK.
2: Okay, Mark Boyer, our fact checker, has a question for you, Mark. Hi, welcome back. Fact i uh, uh, well, I'm wondering. He didn't accomplish this network in England of of twenty thousand employees without subverting some of the other side of the game, uh, law enforcement, politicians. Yeah, judges. yeah. He had
1: he had uh, he had three uh, three officers that were on his payroll. On so did, that, did, and, and, uh, did
2: anyone on that side of the track get uh, prosecuted?
1: Yeah, yeah, they got caught. Uh, He had had a couple of people at the uh, airport. That that allowed stuff cu- uh, coming in, and they got caught. Uh, and then and the other guy um, uh, was uh, uh, his son was involved with drugs, and he inadvertently got caught in a trap because they were they were they were um, uh, monitoring him, his son. And, uh, and somehow he got caught up in this, and they found out about it, and he was arrested on that. And uh, you know he paid uh, certain other people, you know, along the way too on that. Uh, that's the biggest. Um, Uh, 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 the cost of uh, being a drug trafficker is the corruption. You know, you have to pay off a lot of people.
0: Well, yeah, that's what we've had. uh, The guys from uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition on the show a few times. Yeah. And as former law enforcement officers or as uh, DEA agents or whatever, they say if they were just, if it isn't legalization or decriminalization, whatever, uh, you'd save so much in corruption. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the U.S. is waking up to that now. I think the U.S., you know, with all this legalization of of marijuana and all that, and most people favor that now in the U.S. compared to 20, 30 years ago. And uh, it's changing. You know, the war on weed is going to be over, I think, pretty soon.
0: Yeah, and in Alaska, about 20 years ago or less, uh, they almost uh, did the same with cocaine. It almost passed.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, on that end. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people who believe that we should just take all the drugs off, off all the drugs, and see what happens.
0: Well, and we know, I no, think no, we no, know, no, know what's going to happen. Say no, no, no.
1: But, you know, it's never been done. Well, what about Portugal? That's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close, right. And it's worked out over there. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the, the um, amount of um, uh, drug abuse has gone down you know in portugal and um i was in i was in holland too back in the uh, 90s and uh, i was given a, a tour by the police of um of uh, the red light district and all that and um uh, they, you know they were saying you know that uh, they put all the all the prostitutes in one area you know where they they can check them out and all that and they said you know uh, the venereal disease was down Uh, Crime was down and everything. And it it worked. You know, a very sensible approach. And um, unfortunately, Americans aren't like that. When they see sin, they want to stamp it out, right? Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Uh, Holier than thou (laughs) on the side, however. (laughs) The same same people who are warring against it are whoring along with it in secret. exactly.
2: Exactly. So uh, what uh, what brought uh, our anti-hero to London? He's in (laughs) Colombia... Uh, he's dealing well, drugs. Um, he ends up in England. How's that happen? Yeah.
1: Well, uh, he had he had a couple of choices, right? He could go to to the U.S. or he could go to Europe. And uh, he was born in 1960, February 28th. Uh, uh, he's a leap year baby, uh, ironically. And uh, so uh, when he started out uh, in the 19, um, he was about 20 years old. She put it about 1980 cocaine was just starting to boom and colombia was just starting to become a big um, producer of uh, and distributor of cocaine and escobar was just starting to become big and carlos later had, had his island and all that and uh, he looked at that and uh, uh, he decided that, uh, that there were too many too many competitors there you know that the Midian cartel had had a, had a lock on that and uh, he also didn't like uh, the dea he thought they were they were they actually um, uh, too tough. Another you know, gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He thought they were too tough, so he looked at the U.S. and he said, "No, I'm, I'm going I'm to try Europe." You know, and, and it was less violent. He wasn't a violent man. He didn't carry a gun uh, while he was in England, um, and uh, and um, uh, he decided to go to, to go to England. And um, he started out with a couple of young guys, and uh, they they um, uh, one of them had a contact with the uh, Sicilian mafia. Uh, unbelievable. And uh, so when he was like 2021, 20, they they sent him to, to Sicily to meet with them to talk about maybe developing a partnership. And um, they sent him to England uh, where they talked with uh, some of their compatriots. And they sort of uh, agreed that they would set up some kind of network. And so he went back to the uh, U.K. and, uh, and uh, uh, started mailing stuff. Uh, and it uh, worked very very, very small time. And uh, in the meantime, he got, he got involved with the uh, Norte Valley Cartel, which was the third cartel in, in, in Colombia after the uh, Cali and the Medellin cartels. And at that time, it wasn't really that, really that big, but he got, uh, he got um, involved with, uh, with the uh, 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 Norte Valley Cartel, the North Valley Cartel. And, uh, and uh, somehow he got involved with some Sicarios, who were um, very violent, and the sicarios were, were hitmen, killers, young guys. Yeah, uh, the murdering. And, right, and, um, and uh, he, he sort of prevented a couple of people from getting killed. Good and that didn't, that, that didn't set too well with a couple of sicarios. And then uh, he learned uh, one day his brother was uh, in a, uh, in a uh, bar, and he heard that they were going to kill him. And uh, he rushed home. He told um, uh, Jesus about it, and uh, uh, they're were, they were coming looking for him. And he decided that he had to get out of uh, out of um, uh, Colombia. And so uh, he went to England and uh, as a refugee on refugee status. And he got a job. He started working. Um, he had, you know, he worked for a while. Uh, he, he was out of the drug business. Um, he um, you know, uh, drove a, drove a um, uh, uh, bus. Um, he worked in a restaurant, you know, cleaning tables and all that sort of stuff. I and think yeah, that's he wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, I mean, he do- actually do- liked working. He actually liked working, but he saw, you know, at night he'd go out. And he goes to these clubs and he sees the, uh, the incredible demand, you know, that was, was starting to perk up with cocaine and all that, with these young, young people in these clubs and all that. And so he got the idea that, you know, maybe he could talk to his old compatriots in uh, Colombia, maybe set up something on that. And so he set that up, and it got to the point where, well, 1995 or so, that uh, it, it was too much. You know, he couldn't work. He couldn't do a legal job and, and, do, and do his illegal business as well. And so uh, he quit. And uh, by then, the uh, cocaine uh, trade in, in the UK uh, was booming in Europe, and so he was able to develop this incredible network, um, which extended from Colombia. You mentioned the 20,000 people—that's the number of people that were involved with money laundering, you wow. know, uh, for him that, that were dealing with the money that came back um, uh, to uh, to Colombia uh, that he was sending back, and you know, to uh, to his compatriots there. And so, uh, you know, that's how that's how he uh, he started, and he did all this very quietly. You know, he, he never wanted to draw attention to himself.
0: Very smart. Very smart.
1: Very. Smart. Yeah, yeah, very smart. He wasn't guest, Escobar, you know, who loved the attention. Uh, you know, he loved the limelight and all that. And uh, you know, when he went out, you know, he never he never let people know he was the boss. You know, when he went to a, a, a restaurant, he had one of his men pay. And, um, and uh, when he went uh, abroad, you know, uh, he always went abroad for his holidays. He didn't do any partying in Colombia. And he liked to spend money. He'd spend uh, on a weekend in, in Spain, where, which he loved to go to. He'd spend maybe 100,000 pounds, you know, on a weekend on there. But One
0: thing you know, I learned party. about this gentleman that I really admired was the amount of money he spent on charity.
1: Yeah, yeah, he had a charity which which still operates today. By the way, uh, ironically, it was uh, uh, for uh, a charity for children affected by drug abuse.
0: <laughs> well, that was oh. that was smart of him.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right on that. And uh, I think he was, you know, the. Um, uh, the, the cops, I, uh, the police I talked to, the in, investigators, they claimed that um, that that was a money front, you know, a money laundering front. He was using that for, and I don't think so. I think it was it was legitimate. He was trying. He, he had a little bit of a guilty conscience and was giving some of his money back, uh, you know, to, uh, to the people that uh, were affected by his drug trafficking. On that, so it's still operating today It's a charity. It's in, in near his hometown.
0: You know, an interesting and thing, Ronald, you probably remember this. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but it was in Colombia, where the cartels went to the government and said, tell you what, you stop screwing with the Americans, and, and you know, uh, we'll, we'll close shop, we'll donate all this money to rehab centers, education, yeah. Yeah. all that, uh, all right. if you'll just stop doing this horrible suppression stuff with the USA. Well, I thought that was a hell of a good offer.
1: Well, that was, a, that was a special deal that worked out in, in Panama. They met with Mitchelson, who was a former president, and uh, he was the emissary of the government and the uh, uh, Medellin Cartel, which is led by, uh, by Escobar, and there were the Ochoa brothers, and, uh, and later at that meeting, and uh, they, they offered to pay off the national debt. Right. It was like, like $14 billion, <clears> or <throat> some remarkable amount. And uh, the Columbia government actually taught, thought about it, but the, the, their American counterparts didn't. Well, no, no, wait a minute. You're not going to go do, do that. We're going to get these guys, you know, eventually. So, so lay off. Well, that. You know,
0: but that makes no sense to me, Ron. <laughs> it makes far more sense to me. is Okay, pay off the national debt. Go out of business. Do all this nice charity work. Job well done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you figure how it could affect it. it could affect the course of the war on drugs, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, but gee, nah, because someone's well, making that, money uh, off of Escobar that.
1: Escobar went to war. Escobar went to war with the state. You know, this term narco terrorism comes from Escobar. Yeah. You know, uh, he invented terrorism before terrorism became uh, you know uh, uh, prevalent in the world. And uh, I remember being in Colombia. I used to go to Colombia, and I, I you know I heard, I heard a bomb go off once, you know, and that, and I had family members that knew people that were dead, dead, that were, that were killed because of the drug war. Yeah, it was terrible. It was worse than Iraq in the, in the 1980s. Uh, and until they got Escobar in 1993, uh, you know, they caught him on a rooftop and, and killed him. I mean, uh, this guy caused incredible uh, damage uh, and, uh, and uh, sorrow to the, to the country.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, another thing I admire about your real Mr. Big, which is the title of your book, right. is the fact that he, not only really, was he not showy, He was nonviolent. And the guy is obviously brilliant. Now, you take a look at a, a computer hacker, right? If I was a computer hacker and I successfully hack a whole bunch of stuff, what's the first thing that happens? I get hired either by the government or by one of the biggest companies in America to work for them. This man is obviously totally qualified to run one of the biggest corporations in the country.
1: Right. Well, it's amazing what you, you see. You know, I've done several books on, on drug traffickers. I did a book on Frank Matthews, you know, the guy that disappeared right. with $20 million. I did a book on Sergeant Smack, you know, on that. And invariably, you talk to these uh, investigators, and they all say they could be CEOs of major corporations you know, if if they would have turned that way. But, I mean, they don't have that opportunity, right? Most of them are, like, like, uh, from poor areas of of, uh, third-world countries or uh, from the inner city of of, of black neighborhoods and all that. And they don't have that opportunity. But they do have the skill and the talent and the brains, you know, to to be a CEO of a major corporation.
0: Now, I'm surprised that a major corporation, for example, doesn't come to (laughs) this fellow and hire him as a consultant.
1: Yeah, yeah, well... Uh, you know, maybe we're smarter than them, right? Yeah, we, we, that's
0: possible. I would not argue with you there, Ron. Yeah, no, we, we
1: figured it out before they did. Yeah, isn't know, that amazing? That. Well, I think
0: <laughs> it's also the problem in law enforcement is if they can't think like a criminal, they screw up in all sorts of ways.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you know, uh, uh, he has his regrets. You know, sure. he, uh, he has his regrets. He went away for for 18 years, right? And uh, th- his son was like uh, two years old, and his daughter was like something like 10 or something like that. And uh, he missed all of that growing up. And he's very close to his um, his uh, family, and um, uh, uh, he missed all of that. So he. You know, he he has he has regret. You know, he missed all their growing up, and then now they're in their twenties and all that, and he right. didn't know them the, as children. Right. The, the best, the
0: formative years, the ones you can't go back and get again, are gone. Yeah,
1: yeah. But he's still a young man. He's only he's only um, uh, uh, he was born in 1960, right? So oh, he's yeah. like, 61 years old. And uh, I
0: could be his father. <laughs> That <laughs> <Yeah>. literally.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, on that. But uh, so he's back in he's back in Colombia, and um, and uh, you know he he doesn't have any of the money. I know that because uh, you know we've we've talked about that when when he was uh, when he was busted, he worked out a deal with the government. And he gave up fifty <laughs> 4. four million dollars, fifty four point four million. You know, as part of the as part of the plea deal with them, and uh, he got his sentence reduced from 25 years to to 19, and then he challenged that in court and got another year knocked off, so he got 18 years and uh, he spent. Now, what's really crazy is that a couple of years into his sentence, uh, he was getting he was he was getting out, and um, uh, he needed money, and he decided that he was going to try to get a big drug deal. <laughs> And uh, uh, unfortunately, he talked to the wrong people in jail.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'll uh, happen. And the police
1: found out, and they monitored him, and they connected him to this guy named Russell Nags. and uh, it was doomed before it got started, and uh, he was busted again. Jeez. uh, For for that, and so, which is really ironic, because Sergeant Smack did the same thing in 1986, you know, Ike Atkinson, the guy I did the book on, he, he tried to do that deal too from prison, and he got nailed. Too. That's so not a good case, place but, to
0: try, try to do a deal from prison. It, yeah, the people yeah. in prison tend to be unreliable in keeping secrets.
2: No.
1: Well, that's what happened in his case. You know, that's what happened in, in his case. You know, one of one of them talked to the wrong people, and um, the authorities found out, and uh, they're on they're on the trail. You know, they're on the trail. But you figure you know, these guys, you say, we look at him and we say, God, why do you do that for? That's crazy. I mean, you know, you know, you're going to get caught. I mean, you can't get away with it. You know but somehow they talked themselves into it you know and um, i asked him about that i said you knew you're going to get caught and i said you know why did you you know why did you do it and he says i don't know he says it's just i needed the money you know and i i was scared because i i, I when i got out you know uh, what was i going to do you know i was a criminal i've been in jail 18 years i didn't, didn't have any skills i was going to get shipped back to columbia probably work for like a hundred dollars a month you know i had a job and all that sort of stuff so so yeah, so uh, you know he got nailed again, but fortunately, you know he he got out of prison, which was which was uh, good, and uh, I think he's learned his lesson.
0: Well, yeah, and you can't go back and get those years. We have another friend who we've had here on the show, in the uh, Russian mob, and uh, yeah. he's got a little kid now, I think maybe seven, eight years old, and he had children before, and he said he missed those years of of their lives because he was either in prison or he was busy being a criminal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. you can't get that back. And you yeah. probably, you bring up a great point uh, uh, in the book, he does, uh, all that money, all that millions of dollars coming in, going out, you never hear about, for the most part, what happened to the money? Yeah. You know, was it not stashed yeah. somewhere, buried in the desert, yeah. like Dutchman's exactly. gold? It all,
1: it all disappeared. It's like magic, right? Yeah. Like, magic. Somebody made it disappear and all that. And, uh, like, you know, the government got a lot of it. You know, he got, he got a lot of it. Uh, when they busted, uh, the safe houses, uh, one of his habits, uh, which is, which is smart. He kept the money separate from the drugs you know, in the safe houses. See he, right. He'd have a safe house for money, uh, and then he'd have a safe house for drugs. And the reason for that was that if, um, if one of the houses got busted, he wouldn't lose everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he wouldn't lose everything. And so, you know, it worked and on that. And uh, he had to give all that money up. And one of those houses had $14 million in it. <laughs> you
2: know,
1: $14 million in it. So right, that, that was part of the $54 million that he had to give up, you know, on that on that sort of stuff. So... So yeah, uh, and uh, you know, the government is persistent, they, they get the money, they find out where the banks are, you know, the offshore banks that they have the money deposited in, and uh, they check their bank accounts, you know, they have access to that of course, and uh, before you know it, they got they got most of the money.
0: Yeah, and you wonder what happens to most of that money. A friend of mine who was a drug smuggler, may rest in peace now, didn't die from any violent crime, he just passed away of natural causes. He got busted with a bunch of other fellas uh, smuggling in tons and tons and tons of marijuana back when that was a big, bad deal. Right. And all the other guys went with some, uh, you know, hot shot young, you know, defense attorney. Not my buddy. He says, I want the oldest, most conservative, connected, good old boy attorney possible. Attorney comes in and just simply says to him, what's it going to cost me to walk? And then the guy says, 15000 for the judge, 15000 for the prosecutor, 15000 for me. Sold. Next day, he's taken before the judge. Prosecutor says, Your Honor, uh, Mr. So-and-so does not have the degree of participation in this crime that we originally believed. We recommend uh, three years probation and uh, pat on the head. Bang, done. So, I mean, you talk about, you know, how the real world works, and it's scary.
1: Yeah. But well, this guy, this guy was a refugee. He didn't have he didn't have much breaks in prison. I mean, uh, his sentence, um he had to end up um defending himself uh oh, boy. because he didn't want the lawyer that that was assigned to him and they wouldn't give him another lawyer. And oh, uh boy. and he had to uh, he had to end up defending himself. And You imagine how hard that was because his English wasn't his first language. Right. On that. And um uh, of course he was, you know, the evidence was overwhelming and um and uh he went to jail.
0: But, no, they say crime you know, doesn't he, pay, but the was, hours are good.
1: He was in the U.S. He would have got a lot longer sentence. He, I, he, at least he was smart in that respect. He stayed away from the U.S. because he, you know, he would have got, uh, you know, probably for, uh, life.
0: Or, you know, life or uh, like uh, we had Dennis McDougall on talking about Operation White Rabbit, where the guy got two life sentences plus twenty years for yeah. uh, L- yeah. LSD. Uh, they finally. Uh, You'll know, change that sentence and let him out. Or, or Freeway Ricky Ross. You know, our friend Kathy Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ricky Ross,
1: right, LA. Did yeah, that right. great
0: book with him on, on his career where yeah. first they sentenced him to life, then they sentenced him to 25 years, but the guys on the Freeway Ricky Ross task force who arrested him were more corrupt than he was. They all wound up going to prison, and he winds up getting out. Bless his heart.
1: Yeah, exactly. On that, then. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, you know, um, he's out, and um, uh, he's got a a great story, which is now in the book uh, form. And uh, I'm glad I. I'm glad I did the the book with him. I thought it was going to be really a tough tough project because you know the the distance, right? He's in Columbia, and I was in in the U.S. And especially with this whole
0: COVID thing, must have screwed up your timeline.
1: Well. uh, yeah, yeah, it, it set me back like four or five months in terms of finding a publisher. I thought I was going to get a, a publisher pretty quickly, and uh, you know, all we got was silence. You know, yeah. nothing, nothing happening. Nobody, you know, returning anything. And and she said that uh, the only thing she got back were like, uh, sorry, we're on hold right now until this uh, pandemic ends, uh, and um, uh, we we can't re- we're not reviewing books right now. So um, you know, it was bad. It was just well, know, hell, same back.
0: thing with the movie business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, uh, yeah. You yeah, can relate, yeah. you can relate to problem. this because I know that you and I both spent a lot of time trying to, you know, get our books made into movies or TV series or whatever. Actually had yeah. a deal, Ron. Great deal. Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Miramax. Well, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> uh, just everything was a go deal except signing on the dotted line, right? Yeah. About a day and a half before it was to sign on the dotted line, the day was 9-11. Oh, my God. Memo comes out. Anything that hasn't been signed, stop. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Jeez. There it went.
1: God doesn't like you.
0: No. (laughs) <laughs> You've been a bad boy.
1: And you can you, can, you can call for worse timing than that. Oh no! What a rascally rabbit girl!
0: That was a rascally rabbit.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, You know, like we were talking about books. The, the the money is relatively minor, unless you're unless you're Stephen King or something. But you're talking movies. It's usually a substantial deal, even for a minor project, right? Right. So you're <laughs> out. You're out probably a lot of money.
0: Yeah. You know, it reminds me of my, my manager, may he rest in peace, and former co host of the show. You remember Howard Lipinis right. said to me one day, he says, "You know what? You know you have a TV show, a TV movie, or a series when you're sitting on the couch watching it on TV." Hey,
1: that's that's very good.
0: Until then, <laughs> you don't.
1: <laughs> that's exactly true. You, you know, you don't. I see the old expression: you don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah. And uh, you know, and these these movies take forever. I mean, like uh, you know, uh, seven or eight years is not a long time. what? going to take me seven, eight years to get a movie. Well, look at *The Departed, for example, the movie Departed. It took nine years and he had guys like Scorsese and DiCaprio behind it and uh, American Gangster. I remember talking to Frank, Frank Lucas, right? Mm. And uh, nobody knew who he was uh, when I talked to him and he was mementing uh, the fact that the movie had been shut down. They were actually going to shut the movie down and then the next time I talked to him, I talked to him twice, the movie was up again. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it was a huge hit and he was like, you know, world famous mm-hmm. and uh and uh, you know a, a little bit of luck
0: i mean uh, you need a little bit of luck to to make some of these things go oh absolutely positively yeah. you know bill mcdonald uh and i and i to a certain extent he spent 15 years corralling all the rights to the saint for uh, uh, robert evans and paramount yeah and still things would, would go sideways You know, I think he doesn't even already hear the word again, you know, (laughs) after spending 15 to 20 years of his life devoted to a project, and then, uh, you know, things change.
1: Yeah, it's like right now I'm waiting on this producer that finally has got the money and all that and everything's going and I'm waiting and waiting, you know, and it's been like five years, you know, yeah. and I'm still waiting uh, for this thing to get started. I'm waiting for an email from him to say that we started and that he was going to get the website up, the uh, LLC in place, mm-hmm. everything started. And so I just, you know, I've just decided I'm, I'm not even going to worry about it. And if it happens, it happens. And that's but all you can do, but it could drive you crazy. Oh, yeah. Now, Speaking uh, of
2: crazy, Buck uh, C.G. Boyer I I have have a question. has a question. <laughs> Ron, for both of you gentlemen. Yeah. Um, the, top, the the direction you're talking about, and that is um, um, where you can take projects to, to actually generate some income. Does that does that affect the choices you make on projects you pick to write about? A good about?
1: question, and that's very true. Uh, I, I won't do a book now unless I I see a movie possibility, you know, because I'm going to spend like like uh, sometimes sometimes up to a year on a book, you know, uh, and you figure all the time you spend on the book to what you're going to get unless you're lucky, and and you hit your bestseller rank. Uh, it's really it's really uh, you know, you, sometimes you wonder if it's worth it yeah and if you, and if you have a, a project like like this project I have which I think has a great movie potential uh, you'll yeah. hit it you know and and you'll make like 15 20 30 times more than what you'd make before in the
0: book and yet there's but always those those areas like you're saying waiting to hear about the financing uh, in yes. my particular situation the uh, producer of uh, and four-time uh, Academy Award winner of the movie Ray you know the Ray Charles story had yeah. lunch with him and he goes, about the stealing Manhattan, the uh, diamond thief story, and he yeah. goes, "Okay, I want to do a whole series." He says, "You know, uh, just like with Oceans Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen, except this will all be true, and which is a real kick in the pants. So this is all true stuff." Yeah. Uh Six hundred thousand development funds, right? You get to get the you guys whose name you just mentioned to the screenplay, to get this attached, that attached. Where's that money going to come from, yeah. right? And then COVID hits, one thing is after, you know, you're going, you know, you're looking up there the God, have you got something personal against me? <laughs> <laughs> is it personal or is it just the universe has kicked off of me for something I did when I was 12? You know? Exactly.
1: All right, you know, I, I've got, I've got like um, uh, five of my books optioned for movies, believe it or not. And uh, I've got somebody in LA right now, one of the producers that's trying to you know, get a deal on one of the books. On that but uh and these have been going on for like four to five years
0: oh yeah yeah
1: and 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 these guys got connections too they're talking to all the right people and it's still taking and then when you have thrown in covid Mm -hmm. you know on top of that i mean it's just it's it's crazy it's frustrating you know
0: and there's, there's so many people in hollywood whose job it is to say no no matter what because yeah. they can't be accused of making a mistake if they say no.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're right, You're right on that. <laughs> and uh, some of these guys couldn't tell a good project if it hit them between the eyes, You know, really, on that Then uh, It's just uh, amazing. It's like American Gangster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, It came out and made $350 million. Incredible. One of the most successful gangster movies of all time. And the character was black, right? And so Sergeant Smith had somebody that was going to Hollywood about Okay, about five years ago or so, and they said, "I want to talk to these people about your *Starting a Smack* project. Do you mind?" I said, "Oh no, no." So I did a synopsis for him, right? Yeah. On that, gave him a copy of the book, and he, he goes to Hollywood and ends up talking to them. And uh, he comes back, and so we end up talking. I said, "Well, what, what 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 did they say?" And he said, "Well, he said, uh, yeah, the project was interesting, but the black movie's already been done."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're only allowed to do one. <laughs>
1: you know, it made, made three hundred fifty million. I mean, that should tell you something, right? And they said the black movie's a done. The black movie, yeah. <laughs> how
0: about how about we make him an Asian? I had uh, yeah. a meeting with a uh, TV uh, producer named Anthony Spitter. Nice fellow. Smoked a lot of pot in his car before our meeting and it all soaked into his sweater. <laughs> yeah. So I'd given him the pitch on a man overboard, counterfeit resurrection of Phil Champagne. Book hadn't even come out yet. I just had the manuscript. But I'm telling him this is a true story. And I go over and he goes, listens to it. He goes, would Phil mind if we made the following changes? And all the changes were all to make it predictable, stereotypical <laughs> How about if his girlfriend's brother in law is a cop? And how about, you know, he goes to this whole list of things. And uh, so I asked Phil, and Phil sent back the message I don't care if they make me a cartoon mouse. Just write the check.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, that's that's true. If you get paid, uh, you know, uh, it's their Project. That's what, I know some screenwriters are are uh, really upset. You know, if, if they have a word change in it in their script and all that, that's part of the, the process. I mean, by the time the number of people that are going to see your script are going to have something to do with it. I oh mean, yeah. Some of those scripts are unrecognizable after after they get through with it. You know, and but that's the nature of the game, and um, you gotta you gotta play it.
0: Uh, if you want to win. Yeah, and you got to put up with all the aggravation. I've I've known situations where they're actually going into production on the project. I mean, casting's been done, location's shot, everything. And then one little thing goes wrong, producer gets in a fight with the director, the director gets in a fight with so-and-so, all of a sudden, the whole thing's
2: gone.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, right, uh, animosity between... A fart in the wind. Between yeah. Between egos, between egos on the on the project. Yeah, you can't, you, I mean, yeah, right. For, production, it sounds like, hey, they're going to make the movie, right? I mean, you go, you go from development to pre, pre-production to production to post-production, and you figure production, that's going to, but it's no guarantee. Yeah, you know, that's somebody, that whole cool thing. You know, you'll know
0: it's real when you see it on TV or you sit in the theater.
1: <laughs> yeah. Until. Somebody could die, for example, that, that could set it back, you know. Two or three years, even, yeah, you know, before they finally get get up to speed and, and find somebody to replace them on that. Then, yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons in in, in writing books and in um, in uh, writing uh, screenplays for for things, and um, you just gotta like what you what you're de- dealing with. I mean, uh, and uh, and I love writing screenplays. I love movies, you know. Oh, I, so do kid.
0: I. I just love them yeah. to pieces. Yeah, but the yeah. thing is, you know, you gotta keep in mind is. You and I are well over 40, I believe, by now. Yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, I'm yeah. on 39. I gave up on 39. Yeah, uh, yeah that's the <laughs> smart thing to do because once you reach 40 here yeah. in LA, uh, you're too old. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that's a good point. You know, and you'll hear people that say, "Nah, nah, you just have the product. That's all they care about." But that's that's bullshit. I mean, uh, you know, uh, some of these you know, some of these people they'll look at you and they'll say, "Well, you know, this guy is too old for whatever mm-hmm. reason." Uh, I'll, I'll tell you something, uh, uh, bro. Uh, uh, this week uh, in New York is, um, is um, a is a content, a a festival. It's called the uh, Hip Hop uh, TV and Movie Festival. Right. Mm-hmm i uh, I won I won the screenplay for the feature and for sergeant and for um uh the t v both uh, both categories Wow uh, you know my screenplay won in that and hip hop, if you go on the website look at, it, they're all like under thirty. right <laughs> you know I and mean, this is hip hop, man, I'm white, you know and I'm, I'm dealing with this on that, but I can do it, right? I can do it and it's like uh, Kathy I'm,
0: Scott uh, doing the book with uh, freeway Ricky Ross, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, and you know, and I think I said, God, if they knew who they're giving this award to, I wonder if they, I wonder if they did any research on me, you know, on that. Uh, <laughs> to take
0: back know. the award, we found out his age. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and color, of course.
0: Hey, yeah, yeah, color and age.
1: Yeah, right on that. But yeah, so, but uh, you know, and and then you meet some really uh, good people that uh, say, you know, what can you do? You know, what can you do? That's what, yeah. that's what most important part on that and. Um, and uh so yeah but uh, that 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 bothers me right now you know it, it does con- it does concern me a little bit but uh, uh, so far it it doesn't seem to be affecting my career you know i'm getting my scripts option and-
0: there was uh, there was somebody uh, a lady i think who lied about her age she was 40 something she said she was 23 and so they were buying her stuff until they found yeah. out her age <laughs> oh,
1: so why would they Now, that doesn't make any sense right? i know why makes no sense buying- whatsoever you're buying it when, you're, when, when you thought she was 23, so why should you stop when you find out she's 47? That doesn't make any sense at no, all.
0: No, no sense at all. But no one said that everybody in showbiz was as smart as, as we are.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I Which is why you. we're doing a show from somebody's garage. Yes, right. That's why,
1: <laughs> that's why we're
0: broadcasting live
2: from Matt Allen's backyard. Are you
0: really
1: Are you really broadcasting from a garage?
0: Yes. Yeah, it's been converted, not to orthodoxy, but it's been turned into <laughs> a beautiful replica of... Of a, uh, what, 1846?
2: Uh, uh, 1886.
0: 1886, excuse me. 1886, Virginia City style bar. 76. 76. 76. But With the same there. number of trombones.
1: It has yeah, who's a out, Who's out in the bleachers? Oh. Who's out there in the bleachers?
0: That's the producer, Magic Matt Allen. It's his garage. I <laughs> mean, his oh, bar. It's <laughs> got real alcohol. That's
1: why he's the producer, right? It's his
0: garage. It's yeah. his garage. He owns the thing, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just a fantastic, it's a great replica. You, we had the great songwriter P. F. Sloan uh, on Matt's show yeah, and and, uh, and on my good. show uh, just about. I have six, eight, ten months before he passed away. Great fellow. Yeah. And after being here all afternoon long, it was a, Matt did a fabulous interview with him. And he steps outside and the sun was shining and he just looks at me and he blinks his head and goes, "Where the hell were we?" <laughs> <laughs> he says it's like all of a sudden I'm transported to this other dimension. Yeah. I'm in yeah. some bar with a bunch of guys and we're talking music and history. And <laughs> then he steps outside and he's, you know, in somebody's backyard yeah. in uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> LA. Yeah. Did, did, um, you, did you ever interview anybody in your garage?
0: Uh, I've had some interesting experiences in my garage over the years, but we don't discuss those in polite society. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, you can okay. go to outlawradiolife.com. Yeah, there's photo, There's photos, and you can see what the bar looks like. It's enough okay. to shock yeah, anyone. I'm going
1: to do that. I'm going to do that. I've been on your website for a while. You've been out of circulation, right?
2: Oh, for I've been there. I've been well
0: circulated. Well, I, of course, I had to have the my heart ripped out of my body. Oh wow! <laughs> and put on a right. heart lung machine, had to do a, a quadruple bypass, and give me a new heart valve. Oh wow! I don't know if you've been through that experience. No, no. no. Uh, I mean, miraculous. I mean, if this had been uh, 200 years ago, we'd both be dead.
1: <laughs> but oh, wow. well, that's because it's 200, 200 years. years ago, right? But I mean, the, well, you've got you've got the right attitude. You seem to be doing fine, you know. Oh yeah, the I'm attitude.
0: doing fine. But the, right. the the thing is, I'll warn you. in case you ever have this done, I'll tell you in advance. Your body does not realize they're saving your life. All your body knows is that someone. Cut your chest open Ripped out your heart Took it out of your body Sliced it open Did some weird stuff to it and then stuck it back in, and like in a Frankenstein movie, zapped you back to life, and said, "Go home now." <laughs> and going,
1: you you got to trust. You got to have some good people working on you, man. Oh yeah, right. no, that was pretty incredible. You.
0: And the thing is, is if you've ever been in a real bad yeah, situation, are,
1: you know, we, we talk about hard as being a writer. Imagine doing that for a living.
0: To, you got to have small hands. I found that out. All the great heart surgeons have tiny hands. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, because you got to get in we're, there, we're right?
1: Right, a medical school. That's one of the requirements.
0: Yeah, they measure your hands. <laughs>
1: you want to specialize in surgery. You yeah. Small hands.
0: Well, especially if it's heart surgery. you got tidy hands. That helps. Yeah. It's like playing, having long fingers if you're going to play the piano.
1: Yeah. Yeah, on that. Well, I work out three hours a day, so. You do? Yeah, I do. Um, I, do I work out. I do a half-hour walk. I do an hour on the bike. Uh, two hours on the bike. And then I do uh, an hour on weights.
2: Wow. Um, sir, uh, sir, we, yeah. cut that out. Cut, I mean, come on. we are right at the age of yourself. <laughs> we should be old and dying, not not, not old and well, healthy. Well, he's younger than cut I am. Out. Come on. Yeah. I mean, you, no,
0: what, what are you, 50-something, 60-something? No, he's 61. Oh, hell, he's a young pup. <laughs>
2: yes, he's a couple of
1: years younger Who, who's than 61? I
0: 61? How old are you, 61, 50-something?
1: I told you, I'm still at 39. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. 30. That's
0: for showbiz
2: purposes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's... Do you it. have... Uh, we're, I'm worse than one of those uh, starlets, you know, one of those starlets don't want to reveal their age. Oh, I, I, I got a funny, funny I, with a yeah. true, true
0: story. I don't anything to do with true crime, but the movie, the TV show Designing Women, yeah. uh, one of the stars of that show was a classmate of my my, my spouse, my, my wife at oh, yeah. the time. And she went, of course, to the high school reunion. Well, they had the best time making fun of her at the high school reunion because her age does not match with her graduating that year from high school <laughs> by about 15, <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she graduated in the class when she was 12 years old.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Age, age in a sense of the subject with me. I, people always say, well, how old are you? I say, well, that difference doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I'm are you going <coughs> to change your opinion on me after I've, I've talked to you for half an hour? Because <laughs> You're going to find out that uh, maybe I'm older than you think I am, or, or younger. Younger, then. yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, you're too yeah. young for this project. I met I met my uh, my sister's birthday party, and her oldest he was five at the time. Uh-huh. And some one of the guests asked my sister, "Well, how old are you?" And she gave him an answer. And then my nephew Scott. Looked bewildered looked at mom and said you were 13 when I was born
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes son <laughs> I was an early starter
0: ask any of the boys <laughs> yeah
1: on that but anyway I, I you know I, like age doesn't matter I don't I never re- really think about it and um, and uh as far as I'm gonna I'm concerned I'm gonna be Dying on a computer, you know, be, Yeah, I'll, I'll I've die died
0: on a computer, computer a few times. I've died on the air here on this show several times. <laughs> yeah, <and> that—that's <laughs> not unusual. That, uh, speaking of, of uh, on the computer, you've got other projects. I know you've got a lot of effort going into a, a screenplay. I got
1: a, I a uh, humdinger for you. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a humdinger. I'm, I'm working on this. I'm waiting. I'm going to get the. I, I've, I've got. Um, I've got a notorious. Um, ex white nationalists who became a transgender activist.
0: All right. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah. Well that I, is I, great. I, I, yeah, yeah, well great. It is, And uh Transgendered yeah, we're, was we're, done we're, once we're though, so
0: well.
1: uh <laughs> he's in prison for life plus 35 mm-hmm. years. You're, you're talking about the extra years. He got 35 extra plus life. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to get out now. Or she is. Excuse me. Uh, she is um, getting out. She's um, suing this, uh, the state where she's um, uh, in prison for uh, gender surgery. She wants to she wants to make a, a transformation yeah. on that. And uh, I, I've, I've had like 20, 25 video calls with her, and uh, we get along great, and uh, she had a, a production company that had a, had a contract with her, they're gonna do a, a documentary on her, but it relapsed, and she's got it. So, uh, we're waiting, you know, for the lawyers, she's having the lawyers get the, the contract that, uh, that we sent, my lawyer sent, uh, sent to her, and we're gonna see what happens, but I'm excited about that. I've got a 60-page book proposal ready to go, and I think it's gonna be a little bit easier this time right uh, than it was the last time that uh, mm. that I...
0: Well, uh, usually with, with folks, folks such as you and I, or you and me, whoevers correct, I'll have my line uh, editor tell me, <laughs> yes. yeah. is that we reach a certain point where, go, hi, this is Ron Chipsick, I got a new book in Wild Blue or any other number, probably going to go, great, we'll take it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're not going to get rich but as long as we can keep that stuff cranking out and out there, there's uh, always that chance we'll get enough money to retire, yeah, which we exactly. won't bother to do anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. And what are you working on now?
0: Uh, well, I got three books coming out uh, in the next 12 months.
1: Oh, wow. We, we got to get you back on the show. You oh, know? yeah. When That's these yeah.
0: these come out, uh, Frank Gerardo and I are uh, <coughs> just finishing up a uh, doozy true crime about... Uh, <laughs> About confidential informants and the Russian mob. And uh, and, 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 uh, and improper prosecution. Improper prosecution, yeah. uh, throne cases. It's a doozy. And we're oh, just wow. finishing that one up. Then we have a compilation of short pieces, uh, mostly poorly reviewed, <laughs> that we did as tie-ins to these true crime shows. Like Deadly Sins, yeah. Deadly Women, Behind Mansion Walls, where we do the tie-in little books, putting them all in one big book. So you have several cases discussed. Okay. And then, of course, finally stealing Manhattan, uh, you know, about uh, the, the world's second greatest diamond thief because his father was the first greatest. <laughs> Cause yeah, cause he, That's you know. our friend, right? Yeah, Punch. Punch Stanimirovic.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I his, haven't seen him on my Facebook page for a while. Wait, what's he doing?
0: Uh, well, he's been, you know, an artist. You know, he, he stopped doing the diamond thief stuff and uh, started using his artist, artistry because his father was an artist. So was his mother. They were friends, you know, with. He actually had, get this, the original, original of Andy Warhol's Campbell soup cans.
1: You gotta be kidding. He,
0: Warhol did that first as like a college project years before he did the famous version. Yeah. He's got it.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. How, how much do you value that?
0: Well, that's a problem, is that the official uh, Warhol people have a start date and a stop date, and this predates the start date. Uh, so that's a oh good wow. question, but uh, I know he's been doing his art and waiting for uh, these deals uh, to go through. He's
2: uh, working with uh, another, or uh, New York.
0: Yeah, uh, Layer Cake, New York. Yeah, uh, Sean so, Sullivan. Uh, they've been working when, together.
1: When is your next? Uh, when, when? When will the book be published? Be uh, the next project.
0: Uh, the next project is soon as was with Wild Blue. As soon as uh, we get it done, we almost got it done. Frank's working on uh, part
1: uh, of You're the fine, trial. Man. Huh? They're fast. They, they took about a month a month and a half to get my book out. I couldn't believe it. I mean, Oh, I
0: know. They're incredible.
1: Yeah, they're incredible. And they do a really good job, too. I mean, you know, they're, they're really efficient. You know, just these publishers screw around with, it, with, with, with getting your book out. Oh, it, hell, remember uh, when it
0: used to be you'd submit the book, they'd yeah. buy the book, and then they'd pay you in increments. First the pictures, then the this, then the that. And then a year oh. later, the book comes
2: out. Yeah, and maybe a year after that, you might see some money. <laughs> well, I think I think exactly. the whole thing is because the guy behind Wild Blue Press is himself a true crime author. That's yeah, right,
1: that's Steve Jackson, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he so knows he knows, a, he knows what's what it's process, like right? and
2: what he doesn't right? want. What he wants to bring to the industry and the people who do right. the work.
0: And I also guess that uh, Thomas and Mercer at, at Amazon, according to uh, Greg Olson, is wonderful to work with as
2: well. Ron, the Mercer Best? the Mister the real Mister Big, Ron yeah. Chipsick. Check yeah. it out, it's a great. Okay, hey, you
1: book. pronounced my name right.
2: Yeah, Ron. Thanks for coming. It's always a pleasure. You guys are great.
1: You guys are great. I enjoy your, I enjoy your, enjoy your show. Thanks Thank you so much. much. I look Thank forward you. to talking
2: to again.
0: Ron Chipsick, hey. ladies and gentlemen. Earl what? What's next? Magic Matt Allen, and the Demon's Detective, is live at the Light Up Lounge on All Radio Live. Dot. Calm. oh Ow. Ow. Uh. I think black music's been done, hasn't it? <laughs> He's great. He's fun.